If you would please open to Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts in a preaching series called Life on Mission. In that public reading of scripture, you are introduced to a man by the name of John. If you're new to the Bible, he is John the Baptist, and he is the very same John that baptized Jesus, as you just saw there, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in his baptism. The Father speaks over Jesus from heaven as the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So at the baptism of Jesus, we get to hear and see the Trinity on display, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that moment. And today we're celebrating the sacrament of baptism or baptisms at Ridley Creek State Park where we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, in Acts chapter 19, we encounter 12 disciples. And in your Bible, usually when they're called disciples, people are called disciples, you instantly think Christians. You think followers of Jesus. But if you think that today, you'd be wrong because these are actually disciples of John. These are followers of John. And John the Baptist has been beheaded and dead for 20 years. And yet all of a sudden, Paul makes it back to Ephesus. If you're here last week, he left, said, Lord willing, God willing, I'll be back. Well, he's back. And just like Apollos had a lot of good theology but only knew the baptism of John, these guys don't even know about Jesus yet. I mean, they're living literally in a vacuum. And so Paul comes to them and he baptizes them into the name of Jesus, we'll see this morning. And so it's providential. I didn't line it up this way, but I was like, ooh, we're doing baptisms today and we're seeing a baptism again in the book of Acts. Let's learn more about baptism from this passage. And so I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7, just limiting our comments today to those first seven verses with a preaching uh, sermon I'm calling Baptized Into What? Question mark. And so follow along, beginning of verse 1, down to verse 7. I'll read it in its entirety and then pray for us. Verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, remember Apollos just was preaching in, in Ephesus and then went over to Corinth where Paul just came from. So Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. He came back to Ephesus There he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? Well, they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, ah, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in Jesus excuse me, to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Baptized into what? Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your perfect word. We thank you that you have preserved it here in us in sacred scriptures so that we could know what we believe and in whom we have believed. Lord, and I pray if there are any here today like these disciples of John that have gone through religious motions but don't know who they're trusting in or maybe have done things that point to Jesus and never realized it, Lord, that you would shift our eyes and shift our gaze to what baptism points to as a sign and a seal. And Lord, for all of us who have been baptized into Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray as we look to the scripture 
that it wouldn't be twisted and used in hurtful ways, but rather we would remember afresh the gift of baptism and the sign and seal it is to the entire world of the free grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I already shared in the announcements, we are doing baptisms today. Baptisms are so exciting. They're an exciting time in the Christian faith where somebody makes either a public declaration of their faith in Jesus, or as we see in the book of Acts sometime, entire households are baptized and entering into the visible church and becoming part of that covenant community, that family of God centered in Jesus Christ. Baptism is one of those things in the church, regardless of which church you go to, we all do baptisms. So in one sense, baptism is something that should unify the entire church. This is something like, okay, we might disagree on some things, but here's something we can all agree on. I should hear some chuckles at that point. Like, ha, ha, ha. Because if you know anything about the church, we are good at finding things we disagree on and dividing over. And even as we look at this passage this morning, this is the only re-baptism you'll ever see in your Bible. But sometimes people run to this to justify baptizing people over and over and over and over again. In any church, oh, you went to that church? Oh, that guy baptized you? Let's do it again to make sure it sticks, right? If that's your experience of this passage, take a deep breath. That's not what I believe this passage is about. Paul encounters these disciples who are not disciples of Jesus. They're not believers in Jesus. They don't even know about Jesus he asks them some questions to kind of figure out where their faith is and realizes these guys are clueless, right? They don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, all right? This is not like Apollos earlier who knew about Jesus and he just was a little bit off on his doctrine of baptism, which by the way, Apollos was never rebaptized as far as we can tell. They just didn't understand the baptism of Jesus at all. They didn't understand Christian baptism at all. They were using the word baptism, but it wasn't about Jesus at all. And so he asked them this question, which is, well, what were you baptized into? And that's forming the subject of today's sermon. Baptized into what? What, what, are, what is baptism? Yes, that's one question, but what are we baptized into? Because this passage hits that head on. What are we baptized into as believers? Now, the doctrine of baptism is almost elementary in some ways. But like all beliefs, could be an exhaustive ocean that we could spend the rest of our lives thinking more deeply on. So I'm going to limit my comments today primarily to what's in these verses, these seven verses. But if this piques your curiosity to go deeper, I'd love to talk to you more after the service and study this more. So four things that we are baptized into right out of verses one through seven. First, we are baptized into the name of the Savior. We're baptized into the name of the Savior, verses three through five, and I won't reread them because it's pretty short. I hope you remember <laughs> what I just read to you. But remember, Paul asked them this question. They're disciples, but he catches that something's off about these guys because there's this global family growing and they're all on the same page. Even Apollos, who we ran into last week, he, he teaches the way of Jesus accurately. Like, they get it. And when Paul starts talking about Jesus, they kind of cock their head like, huh? Like, and he's talking about the forgiveness of sins and like, hmm. He's like, whoa, 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 because these guys are baptizing, you know, and they've been baptized. He's like, what were you baptized into? We are baptized into baptism. Isn't that what he says? <laughs> we are baptized into John's baptism. Oh, baptized into baptism. I got you, right? Like, 
We don't have faith in faith as Christians. You know that? Like sometimes you have this Christianity that's kind of like the faith movement. It's like you just got to believe in what? In belief. Like you don't believe enough in belief. Well, sometimes we can do that in baptism. Like what were you baptized into? I was baptized into baptism. (laughs) Where's your hope? Baptism. Well, baptism's a sign. It's pointing to something. Now, Paul's right, and John the Baptist got this spot on. It's a baptism of repentance. And that's what Paul says. But Oh, he baptized with the baptism of repentance, but that was to turn you away from your sin, to turn you towards something, namely towards someone, namely to turn you towards Jesus, and he preaches Jesus to them. Because I'm going to say something that at first will sound heretical to you, but it's true. Listen to this. Repentance doesn't save you. Sit for a second, because you know, repent and believe, right? Like and Peter, when he preached the gospel, he said, "Repent and be baptized." So there's a tendency, like repentance. Your repentance doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Now, the reason that we often don't come to Jesus or turn to Jesus is because we won't repent. Do you see the difference? We're clinging to our sin. We're clinging to our ways. But repentance prepares us to turn to Jesus and to embrace Jesus. But sometimes, just like John the Baptist, he was a forerunner to point the way to Jesus. We can get trapped introspectively looking at ourselves and looking at these outward forms that were meant to turn us to look to Jesus. What were you baptized into? Into baptism? No, you weren't baptized into baptism. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into the Savior. You were baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of that that represents in your salvation. Baptism is a sign and a seal that points you from the baptism to Jesus, just like John the Baptist did. By the way, these guys aren't the greatest followers of John the Baptist, because we have a curated playlist of John's uh, songs, if you will, in our New Testament, where every time he shows up, he's like, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, or did you know some of Jesus' 12 disciples were disciples of John first? Andrew, Peter, they were both disciples of John. Then we're told in John's gospel that he points over to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God. See the Lamb of God. And they say, that's the Lamb of God? <laughs> We're going to Jesus. And so they leave John the Baptist. And over and over, there's this movement where people are like, oh, everyone's going to Jesus now. And John says, he must increase, I must just decrease. Or as our reading today, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. John the Baptist was a powerful preacher he was a famous preacher. We talked about that, you know, Apollos, Paul's. John the Baptist was a big wig. I mean, Herod killed John the Baptist. You know that? He was, because he was calling him out about his uh, wife, which wasn't, it was his sister-in-law or whatever. He married this woman he wasn't, wasn't supposed to. It was unlawful. John the Baptist calls him out. And so finally, I don't need to go into all the details, but John, or Herod has him beheaded. And when Herod sees Jesus and his fame, do you know what he thinks? It's John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's how famous John the Baptist was. There were followers of John the Baptist into the second, maybe even into the fourth century. 
And I just learned this this week. I did my big dive on John the Baptist. There are still about 100,000. They're called Mandaeans. They follow Mandaeism. You can Google it. That John the Baptist is their highest prophet. (laughs) There's about 10,000 of them. Uh, that live in Australia. That's the largest population of them. Very secretive, so we don't know much about them. But get this. They do baptisms every Sunday on themselves over and over and over. Because it's the main thing they got to do. And you hear these guys and you hear, now I don't think that was John the Baptist's message. Repentance is his one-off turning. But that's when you get stuck in the skipping record of repentance. Do you see it? It's like your focus is just, I gotta cleanse myself, I gotta cleanse myself, I gotta cleanse myself, I gotta. And so every week, 100,000 people still in this world who think that they're following the right way are washing their bodies over and over and over. Meanwhile, they know nothing of the blood of Jesus. They know nothing that when the blood of Jesus hits them, they are clean forever into eternity. Forever, once and done. And that's what Christian baptism is, brothers and sisters. So if somebody takes this passage to say, hey, we should rebaptize you over and over and over, that's not what this was about. Now, if you were baptized into a cult that didn't believe in the Trinity or some of the basic Christianity, of course, yeah, it's like that's not Christianity, just like these guys aren't in Christianity. But if you were baptized at the Baptist or the Methodist or the Presbyterian or even, you know, these historic churches, Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, this is not about, like, you got to get baptized at Manoa if you want to join our church. Like, no. Once and done. Because baptism points you to a Savior and our connection to Jesus. And it's something that happens once in our lives that shows us that we have turned to Jesus and received him. Rock of Ages is a great hymn. I think we're going to sing it next week. But I wanted to read some of the words to us under this first point before I move on. It says, Rock of Ages, referring to Jesus, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hand can fulfill thy laws, demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Saying there, our tears, our repentance, the zeal is not what saves us. It's Christ alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We're baptized into the name of the Savior. I love this quote from John Chrysostom. I can't say his name. Chrysostom. He's an early church father, third century He said this, referring to John's the Baptist, baptism of Jesus, because Christ is sinless, and we're baptized to show that Christ cleanses us from our sins. He says, Christ then did not need baptism. When John baptized, he said, oh, I shouldn't have to baptize you. You should baptize me. But Christ said, no, do it to fulfill all righteousness. He says, John then did not need, excuse me, Christ then did not need baptism, not John's or any others. Listen to this. Rather, baptism was needful of the power of Christ. Hear that? When Jesus was baptized, 
of course, as our example, and we follow him in the waters of baptism. But he forever fused that symbol and that sign and that seal with himself, saying that the Savior, as we enter into the waters of baptism, it's a picture of us entering into Christ who fulfilled all righteousness for you. And so Jesus touches baptism in a way that infuses it, not like John's baptism, just a baptism of repentance. This is a baptism that points us to the name of the Savior, the name of Jesus, whereas we are baptized, as Jesus says in Matthew 28, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One last question that is often asked, you read the book of Acts, they're always baptized into Jesus, into the name of Christ, and then we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and people wrestle with, like, what's the right formula, you know? And throughout the church, we have always baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some people are saying, well, Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not quite accurate, because... The Father sends the Son. The Son is the sent one, right? And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, it's better that I go. I will send the Helper. But listen, when I say we're baptized into the name of the Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all the saving name of God because the Father sent the Son. The Son was the sent one that died on the cross for your sins. And the Holy Spirit applies the saving work of God to your life Through the power of regeneration, he brings spiritual life and washes away all of your sins. So when we are baptized into that comprehensive name of the Savior, into the name of the Father who sent Jesus Christ, into the name of the Son who died for you, in the name of the Holy Spirit who seals you for the day of redemption, you are still being baptized, of course, into Christ, and you are being baptized into the Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit completely comprehensively play a role in your salvation. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. The Father chose you. The Son died for you. And the Spirit seals you for that day of redemption. So we baptize in the name of the triune God, the triune Savior, as believers all over the world have always done since ancient times. So first, we are baptized into the name of the Savior. Secondly, We're baptized into the age of the Spirit. We're baptized into the age of the Spirit. Paul is on to these guys, that they're not disciples of Jesus. One, he discovers a little bit later, they don't even know who Jesus is. And so that's a big warning sign. (laughs) If you're talking to somebody, say, ah, I'm a believer too. Oh, really? What do you believe in? Belief, you know, or... God in general, what do you think of Jesus? Ah, he's a good guy. No, (laughs) no, he is the savior of the world. Hello, right? So he, he first realizes they don't understand Jesus, but this is his diagnostic question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their answer is priceless. What? Who's the Holy Spirit? Never heard of him, right? Like, we never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, okay, these guys have some catching up to do here. Now, again, they're not great followers of John the Baptist, right? Because John the Baptist is the one who we have, again, saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, 
And when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. We're told he's filled with the Spirit. Jesus is, goes into the wilderness, then comes back full of the Spirit, goes into the synagogue in Capernaum, opens the Isaiah scroll. First sermon he ever preaches, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. I mean, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is all over the ministry of John the Baptist and all over Jesus as he's ushered into his ministry. So I don't think these guys were actually trained by John the Baptist directly. This was probably a tad of a whisper down the lane, you know, second or third removed. Somehow the Holy Spirit's message got chopped out of the message. And so these guys don't know about Jesus. They don't know about the Holy Spirit. They cannot be called disciples of Jesus properly or Christians born. They're not Christians that Paul's like, oh, I found some Christians who don't have the Holy Spirit. That is not who these individuals are. And so once he discovers that, he gives them a proper Christian baptism in the name of Christ, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, lays his hands on them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They start to prophesy. So we know for sure that these guys are good to go, that they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to the book of Acts, this is our fourth collective spirit baptism that we see in the book of Acts. The first is Acts chapter 2, which is Pentecost. That's when uh, Peter gets up to preach. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the 120 in the upper room. They all speak in different languages. People are from all over the world are in there for a festival called Pentecost. That's why we call this Pentecost. You know, Pentecostals sometimes use that language. It's a holiday. They're all there. They all speak different languages. They understand what's being said because they're speaking in their tongues, in their languages. That's the first one. The second one was uh, when the Holy Spirit had not come to the Samaritans. So the apostles go check that out. They lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So the gospel went from Jewish people to the Samaritans. Then it goes to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. You remember that? Cornelius' household, Peter preaches. And before they're baptized, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak in tongues. And so he says, what can prevent us from baptizing these people? They just received the Holy Spirit just like us. So there, the Holy Spirit shows up before water baptism. (laughs) And so they're chasing them with water after the fact. All right, we got to get these guys baptized. This is the fourth and final collective baptism that we see of the Spirit. And so people wrestle with this and, you know, sequence and how should this go down? And, you know, if if you get baptized today, do you have to come out of the water speaking in tongues or it didn't stick? One arrest assured, that's not what we believe. Most churches don't believe that. And I've said it before, we don't believe, I don't believe these are Christians who don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not a fair thing to take this, rip it out of context and walk up to a born-again Christian and say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Like, That's not the application of this passage. Now, we believe in the Holy Spirit here deeply. We're baptized. He's one of the names. You know, some Christians, I I think that we become functional binatarians. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. (laughs) Let me say that again. Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You ever been in that kind of church where it's like, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit here. We just, anything the Holy Spirit does in the Bible, we say that's what Jesus does. Like, We believe in the Holy Spirit here, amen? Amen. We believe that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe we can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you speak in tongues in your personal prayer life or quietly during the service where you're not freaking people out, have at it. You've heard prophetic words where people come and share something that the Holy Spirit puts on their heart. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. We long to see us full of the Spirit here, but 
there's a tendency to use passages like this and create a two-class Christianity of the haves and the have-nots. Oh, you don't speak in tongues? Oh, we'll fix that. You know, <laughs> let's lay hands on this guy until he starts. And if you don't, can't be a leader here. You get, you know, some of you have been in that world. We get it. Paul says there's a variety of gifts, and we don't all have them. And we shouldn't despise each other and look like each, you know, better or worse than based on the gifts you have. And hear this loud and clear. We believe in the Holy Spirit. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've never had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, we'll pray for that. Hallelujah. And if you have it, I hope you have it over and over throughout your whole life. Not a once and done kind of thing. But don't use passages like this to put Christians that don't speak in tongues or don't prophesy in the unspirit-filled category, please. Amen? If you long for the gift of tongues, seek it. God may give it. He may not. That's up to God, not up to me, not up to the elders. He might have another gift for you. But this is not about a two-class Christianity, disciples of Jesus who don't have the Holy Spirit and disciples of Jesus who do. That's very clear from the text. And if anyone ever uses it this way, and it has been used that way often in the church, you hear loud and clear from pastor, let's hear what I am saying and what I'm not. We all have the Holy Spirit as Christians. We all receive the Holy Spirit when we place our faith in Christ. We all want to seek the Holy Spirit and all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he longs to give to us. And sometimes these powerful encounters are personal. Sometimes they're collective in groups. I believe that's clear from our Bibles. But we don't all have to speak in tongues or prophesy to be spirit-filled Christians. I love this quote from John Stott. He says, the experience... Excuse me, they experienced, do you have that for the screen, guys? They experienced a mini Pentecost. Better Pentecost caught up on them. Better still, they were caught up into it as its promised blessing became theirs. I mean, Pentecost is catching up to these different groups. And we see first the Samaritans. So it starts with the Jewish people, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. And here's this little pocket of John the Baptist followers living in a 20-year vacuum that gets swept up into the movement of the Holy Spirit here and experience the blessing that Jesus promised, the fullness of the Spirit, the age of the Spirit. Pentecost inaugurated that age, and now we live in that age, church, and that age continues until Jesus comes back. We don't believe the gifts ceased at the closing of the canon. Rather, we pursue the Holy Spirit just like the early church does, which is also why we are baptized into the name, not only the Father and Son, but of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We are baptized into the name of the Savior. We are baptized into the age of the Spirit. Thirdly, we are baptized into the communion of the saints. We're baptized into the communion of the saints. Paul comes back to Ephesus, and as I said before, he found some disciples, but they're not saints properly. They are not Christians. They're not believers. And at the very end, there are about 12 men in all, we're told, who are folded into the church with the capital C. They are added into the body of Christ because when you are baptized, it's not only a sign and seal of this, that I have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? Father, Son, I have a relationship with God, it's also a picture of you being baptized or immersed into the body of Christ where you are swept up into the purposes of God, into the big capital C church. We're baptized by the Spirit into his body, the people of God, the church. And so baptism is both a personal event 
but it's also a corporate event where we are, that's why we often do them publicly. Now, if there's nobody around and you want to get baptized, it does count. I mean, you don't have to have lots of people around, all right, to make it a valid. It's kind of like a marriage. Like, it's awesome if you get married in front of everybody, but if you do it, if you take the vows, if you follow through with it, you're married whether, you know, the justice of the peace, the only people are there is solid or not. So it counts, but in general, Usually we say marriage is sort of a community event because families are coming together. Baptism is kind of like that where it's the sense that I'm, yes, in relationship with Jesus, but I'm taking the plunge into the visible church, if you will. Like baptism is the front door of the church saying, I am entering into the family of God. I am entering into the communion of the saints, which is also why when we get rebaptized every time we join a different church, it does violence to the nature of what baptism is. Because baptism is almost like a citizenship and then a passport of sorts, all right? So if you need to travel around, you have to have a passport to prove where your citizenship is from. And when somebody is baptized in a gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving church, and we can disagree about secondary issues, all that stuff, but they're basically saying, I belong to the family of God. And when they come, we shouldn't say, well, where's your passport? We should say, brother, sister, welcome. Welcome, because you're already part of the family of God. You can join this little country, this little outpost of the kingdom here. Because we believe that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so baptism, unlike communion, the sacrament of communion, we do that throughout our lives until Jesus comes back. Baptism's a one and done. I've been baptized six times <laughs> before I understood this. Now, I joke, really only twice, because I was born in a tradition that did dunk you three times. It was called triune immersion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I did that later after I experienced the new birth. And sometimes people are like, well, if it happens afterwards, then should I? You know, I would say it's kind of like circumcision. Think of it that way. Um, if you're an Israelite and you're circumcised, it is done. Now, the circumcision of the heart might have preceded it or happened after, right? Where you have to actually have that circumcision of heart. But you can't be uncircumcised. And when you join, when you're baptized, it's done. And if you become an unfaithful Israelite, so to speak, well, there's covenant blessings and curses that follow that, that choice, right? Like you, but you're in, all right? And so that's why baptism is a weighty thing. You might be in a really tough marriage, but you're still married, right? <laughs> so when you decide to be baptized or when your household is brought into the family of faith, you are in. You are in, and we recognize that regardless of what local church performed that baptism. And these guys here, I said it before, but they're kind of living in a religious bubble. <laughs> they're in this, their own little tribe of sorts. They're in this where they don't know about Jesus, they don't know about the Holy Spirit, they're somehow insulated and insular like the last 20 years. Pentecost, never heard of it. Jerusalem, apostles, who, right? Like all of the stuff we've been studying, somehow this little bubble has been separated where there's these people who long to have a relationship with God living in this bubble. And all of a sudden that bubble pops and they're folded into the collective family of God. And that's ultimately what baptism represents. It's a, it's a folding you into the family of God, not into just Manoa Community Church. 
fact, there's a few people getting baptized today that are members of other churches that want the creek experience. So he said, as long as your church is cool with it, let's do it. Um, the, the pastor of Bethany EPC down the road might be coming to baptize one or two people too. I said, the more the barrier, right? Because in the end, I mean, we reserve the space, but come on in, Paul, if you want. You know, this, this is not Manoa. Manoa does not have a corner on baptism, and no church, no denomination does. Baptism folds us into the one Lord, one faith, the communion of the saints throughout all time, throughout all people, dead and alive. The Apostles' Creed says it as following. I believe this is the end of the Apostles' Creed, one of the most ancient creeds that we have outside of the Bible. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So again, these guys didn't know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. And by Catholic, it means global church. It doesn't have the word Rome in front of it. The Holy Global Church, the Catholic Church, capital C, the communion of the saints, there it is, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So when we come to Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, and as we take on the sign and the seal of belonging to Jesus, we are also saying this, I'm not alone. I am part of the family of God all over the world Ephesus is connected to Corinth, is connected to Jerusalem, is connected to Rome. You have believers, church, did you know this, across the world who are not Americans, who are more your family than many of your neighbors. There is a family that God adds you to. The believers left in Afghanistan right now need your prayers. It's a hard place to live for Jesus. And it's only going to get harder. They're your family. They're part of the communion of the saints. And when they got baptized, they entered into family with you. And when you got baptized, you entered into family with them. And that's why we're committed to global missions. And that is why we are committed to reaching the world for Jesus. Because in this, God is popping all the little bubbles and folding all of humanity together into that communion of the saints forever and ever and ever. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as we celebrate baptism today, for all those who are being baptized, for all of those who have been baptized, and all of those who are praying about baptism, I want to say loudly and clearly, baptism is important. Baptism is something you should not neglect. But let's not have the answer of these disciples. What were you baptized into? baptism. What we're witnessing today points well beyond the creeks of Ridley. It points through the water that washes our outer bodies to the deep spiritual reality that Jesus Christ and him alone can wash away your sins. We don't believe that water baptism is what saves you. We do believe it is what Jesus that saves you. And there's some Christians that disagree on that, and I don't think it invalidates their baptism, nor ours yours. But what it points to what it is the sign and the seal of is not baptism into baptism, but baptism into the Savior of the world. And as you step into the waters of baptism, you declare today to your friends and your family and back to God himself, what can wash away my sins? Nothing, 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 nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Amen.
In a moment, we're going to sing the song, This I Believe, which is basically singing the Apostles' Creed to one another and back to God of these ancient truths that we believe. We believe in the communion of the saints, that we are connected to the body of Christ here and the saints in heaven. But before we do that, I'd be remiss not to give you a chance to place your faith in Christ, maybe for the first time. And if you would repent today and turn not to your repentance, but turn to Jesus, I'd encourage and challenge you that today you should get baptized. Today's an opportunity, and there's no reason to put it off. We don't see in the Bible, let's study this for six to 12 more months. If you believe in Jesus, get baptized into the name of the Father. Get baptized into the Savior today. Tomorrow is not promised to you. And then spend the rest of your life learning what that means. If you're not ready, then don't do it. But if today is the day where you say, I believe this. I'm a childlike faith. I'm just getting started. Today is the day that you should follow Jesus and be baptized. So let's turn to him in prayer first, and then we'll sing the song back to him. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for your saving name, your powerful name. And we thank you, Jesus, that when we were baptized, we weren't baptized into baptism. We're baptized into you, the Savior of the world. That when your spirit came to us before, during, or after our baptism, doesn't matter that we have you living inside of us. And so, God, I pray for us that we would be a spirit-filled church, Lord, that we would walk in the gifts of the spirit, that we wouldn't be Christians to say, the Holy Spirit, who? Lord, that we'd be united with the global church and saints throughout all of time to say that because of this baptism, we are now connected not only to you, but to each other. And if you're here today and have not placed your faith in Jesus, today is the day of salvation where you can do that. Pray something like this. Say, Jesus, today I repent. Today I turn from my sins. But I don't turn from repentance to repentance. Today I turn from my sin to you, the Savior of the world. I believe that you are the only one who can wash away my sins. So today I come to you and I ask you to clean me and to cleanse me. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would fill me that you would empower me and grant me the gifts of the aged of the Spirit, Lord, that I would walk in the strength that you supply in relationship with you and with the brothers and sisters in this room that I'm just getting to know. So God, we pray. We pray as we celebrate baptism this afternoon that our eyes would be lifted from the water and look through the water to the Son of God, the water and the blood that spilled from his side, to wash away all of our sins. We thank you for this great gift. We thank you for this great sign. We thank you for this great seal upon our lives and this great portrait and picture of grace preserved not only in scripture, but at Ridley Creek State Park in 2021, where we can remember that it's Jesus and Christ alone who washes away our sins. We thank you and praise you and pray all of these things in Jesus' name.